What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the planet today. Today is Friday, March 11th, 2022. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here with recurring guest co-host and the founder of the number one handkerchief company in the world, Val Alta. Hey! Dan Walsh. Dan, welcome back. Honored to be here. Phone in some, for some big shoes, but, you know, delighted to be here. It's great to have you back and uh, happy to see a familiar face. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, Nick is uh, Nick is enjoying a well-earned vacation right now, so uh, no Nick this week, but he will be back next week. All right, let's get into the show. Welcome to the planet today. Here on TPT, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way Monday and Friday. This shows your one-stop shop for all things environmental, whether you're just diving into a green lifestyle or you're ready for some more involved conversations about what can be some complex topics. TPT has a little bit for everyone, so we're happy to have you as a listener. Please go rate the show on Spotify and rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Please do. Thank you to everyone who's done it already. And look, if you leave a review, we will give you a shout out on the show. All right, let's get into our quick hits. The first one is from Manga Bay, where Susanna Camargo writes, a more potent CO2 sink than the Amazon. Brazil's mangroves remain overlooked. Scientists have long recognized that mangrove forests store more carbon than other types of tropical forests, but this study actually quantifies it. So a new study shows that mangroves along Brazil's coast store up to 4.3 times more carbon in the top three feet of soil than any other biome in the country, and that includes the Amazon. Brazil's mangroves sequestered 13.5% of the world's carbon every year, but mangroves are not included in Brazil's protected areas. They're also not considered a priority under Brazil's emissions reductions goals established in the Paris Agreement. So the goal of quantifying the carbon stored in mangroves is to basically convert these estimates into carbon credits, meaning that you can put a price on the value of the forest land. And what's interesting about the mangrove trees is the trees themselves store less carbon than the Amazon rainforest trees. But like I mentioned earlier, the soil around them stores much more carbon than people might have realized. Mangrove trees can be found basically up and down the entire Brazilian coast. So there are abundant carbon sinks. Carbon can be stored in the trees themselves, in their roots, and in the soil surrounding them. So protecting mature trees with well-developed roots becomes a key here. The study's authors say mangroves can sequester so much carbon because mangroves store carbon from the environment itself, from nearby ecosystems, and the carbon in what comes from the waters of the estuaries that lead into those mangroves. The main issue with mangroves is they're not protected under Brazil's emissions reduction goals. There are also no plans or guidelines in Brazil to include mangroves in carbon trading systems. Yeah, and then to add a layer onto that, the area in between mangrove forests and drylands are also not protected, and that zone is called Apicum. 
The main threats to mangrove conservation are shrimp farming, agriculture, erosion, real estate along the coast, and of course, climate change. Mangroves are also important because they represent the buffer between land and marine ecosystems, and they're an important breeding ground and habitat for several species of plants and animals. Yeah, I feel like mangroves, I myself also, I forget about them. I'm sure I'm not alone, but it kind of I kind of lump it into like the whole soil carbon framework, which I just I don't understand really so much about. I just I've seen some crazy estimates on like how much carbon can be stored and is stored in soil. But I, I like I never learned about it or like I never learned like the mathematics and science mm-hmm. behind it. And I don't know like how it works. And I've seen such variance like I feel like that's one of the few areas where there's just not a super concrete estimate reliably across yeah. all people. And I, I just don't fully understand it. And I got to learn more about it. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I didn't realize that mangroves were, look, I, I knew that they were important from an environmental standpoint of, you know, it's where fresh water and salt water kind of meet. And the soil around that is a really good buffer to keep freshwater fresh and keep salt water salty yeah. but i didn't realize that they were also such an important carbon sink so Sweet. by this study quantifying this i'm hoping this is a really good step in protecting something that i don't know if many of us realized how important they really are definitely definitely and there's probably less and less mangroves now than there's ever been so we got to protect the ones that we have yeah all right on to our next quick hit it is from the journal ie Basking sharks to be granted protected wild animal status by Niall O'Connor. The Irish government has announced that basking sharks will now be protected under the Wildlife Act. Malcolm Noonan, the Minister of State for Heritage and Electoral Reform, says a code of conduct will be developed to cover both ecotourism and the wildlife watching industry. Basking sharks can be found feeding on plankton in the seas off the coast of Ireland. Believe it or not, Irish waters actually are home to between 15 and 20% of the world's basking sharks. So this has big implications. Yeah, this is cool stuff. The code of conduct that they're setting up is also set to develop both short-term legal protections for basking sharks and long-term protections for sustainable ecotourism. So they're really covering all of their bases on this one. The Wildlife Act of 1976 that now covers basking sharks will prevent hunting them, injuring them, or interfering with their breeding or resting species. Christopher O'Sullivan says in the article, they're the second biggest fish in the world, and they're really gentle giants. If you're ever in the southwest coast between the months of May, June, or July, then you have a great chance of seeing one from any headland or beach. Personally, I had no idea that basking sharks were so abundant in Ireland. So, Dan, did you was this new to you too? Uh, I had no idea either as well. I feel like growing up, my family always used to go on vacation during Shark Week. So mm-hmm. I'm quite uninformed when it comes to sharks. <laughs> Putting the, the Walsh family name to shame on that one. No one would be having the TV on on vacation. And I'd be like, oh, wow, it's Shark Week. Yeah, I guess the difference is like Shark Week maybe just because of where we both live, it focuses on sharks in and around America and yeah, then, yeah. you know, South Africa, because that's where the exciting great whites live. But yeah, I had I had no idea that basking <laughs> sharks were uh, were so popular in Ireland. 
No, seriously, that's interesting. So add this one on to the ever-growing list of marine places and marine life that will be protected moving forward. So here in the United States, we have the 30 by 30 plan that's being developed, and that's to protect 30% of our oceans by 2030. So it's great to see how many countries worldwide are now prioritizing ocean conservation. Definitely. I completely agree. And we'll get into that topic a little bit more. Yeah. So speaking of oceans, the next one is from the National Institute of Environmental Health Services. Megan Avakian writes, new study finds ocean pollution a threat to human health. This is one of those, we didn't need a study to tell you that (laughs) headlines, but um, it's still important to break down the study. So I don't think anyone out there was expecting ocean pollution to have no impact on human health or like be good for human health. But I think that the results of this study might be surprising to some people in that they said ocean pollution presents a clear and present danger to human health and well-being. The study's lead author, Dr. Philip Landrigan, adds that ocean pollution is a widespread, worsening, and poorly controlled problem that is directly affecting human and ecosystem health. And this is the first comprehensive examination of the impacts of ocean pollution on human health. Ocean pollution threatens food, livelihoods, and cultural and recreational value to billions of people around the world, which healthy oceans can provide. Oceans cover more than two-thirds of the planet and provide space for tourism, scuba diving, snorkeling, fishing, cruises, etc. Like That list is going to keep going on. Oceans are important. And more than 80% of ocean pollution comes from land through runoff, rivers, and direct discharge. Yes, unfortunately, this is another environmental justice area as well, where the most highly concentrated ocean pollution in the world is found along low and middle income countries coasts. Yeah, Dr. Landrigan adds that the impacts of ocean pollution fall most heavily on groups that, quote, for the most part, produce very little pollution themselves, end quote. They are groups that rely on oceans for food, so they rely on having healthy oceans. Yeah, so for this, we're talking about coastal fishing communities, people on small island nations, indigenous populations, you know, people in the Arctic, like Nick and I talked about for, I think it was this month's documentary review, maybe last month's, last month's actually. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so some of the main sources of pollution they bring up here are mercury, plastic waste, manufactured chemicals, agricultural runoff, and algal blooms. So all of those buzzwords that you're hearing are the things that were studied for this. Yeah, these can expose people to pollution when they're eating seafood or recreationally swimming. However, they can accidentally ingest the water or the animals within the water. Mm -hmm. The mercury pollution Matt mentioned is actually caused mainly by coal combustion, believe it or not. When coal is burned for energy, mercury is produced and enters the atmosphere, which can then get washed out to sea. Yeah, we always hear about mercury poisoning and how, you know, you you shouldn't eat certain types of fish that often or how pregnant women should avoid fish because of potential mercury exposure and how that could impact the developing baby. But I had no idea it was linked to coal before reading this article. Yeah, nor did I. But I mean, I definitely learned and have heard a lot about bioaccumulation uh, through the course of my academic career. And I know mm-hmm. once you get up that food chain, you're you're at some high concentrations. Yeah. I mean, that's what we talked about with a couple episodes ago when we we're talking about how eagles are impacted by certain types of pollution. So, yeah, bioaccumulation is just going to keep working its way up the food chain and then eventually it hits the apex predators, which is us. Yeah. So we talk about plastic waste all the time, 
But this article says that roughly 10 million metric tons of plastic waste enters the ocean each year. That's going to have an impact on fish, marine mammals, seabirds, sea turtles, etc. This is only going to get worse through climate change as well. Combustion from fossil fuels is a major cause for unhealthy oceans. So as long as we're still burning them, it's going to amplify this problem. Yeah, and luckily the study does leave off with cause for hope. And they say that laws, policies, technology, and enforcement of regulations can reduce these forms of pollution and help ensure healthy oceans. The authors call for eliminating coal combustion and to ban single-use plastics to effectively protect our oceans. Yeah, I feel like you hear more and more about ocean protection, whether it's yeah, banning plastics or ocean or beach cleanups, like mm-hmm. everything. Like I feel like it's very much in the public realm at this point, which is a good thing and hopefully more political and regulatory actions can uh, impact. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also important to note that, look, they're recommending banning single use plastics in this article. That's something that we as consumers can have a big impact on. So don't buy them. It's going to create less of a demand. Less will get produced. So less will get used and less will get into the waterways. So little steps like that can get taken, but you know, ultimately this is going to come down to the producers of single-use plastics just not making as much, and that's where you need the political action that Dan just mentioned. Well, we'll uh, join you back shortly after a short break. Planet Today is brought to you by Vala Alta. Vala Alta's everyday handkerchief is a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valaalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT. TPT. Welcome back to the planet today, folks. Next up, Patrick Greenfield of The Guardian writes, deforestation emissions far higher than previously thought. Study finds. Carbon emissions from tropical deforestation have doubled in the last two decades, and they are continuing to accelerate. So forests are important, as we mentioned in our lead story today, because they store vast amounts of carbon. The world's forests hold 861 gigatons of carbon, which if you're like me, you hear that number and you're like, okay, that's a lot. I have no idea what that means. Unfathomable. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, it's basically the equivalent of 100 years of annual fossil fuel emissions currently. Every time trees are cut down, they release the carbon they store into the atmosphere. Since the year 2000, 10% of the world's tree cover has been cut down, which is further contributing to climate change. Yeah, and it works on both fronts. So you have the carbon that's released through deforestation, but then you also have less mature adult trees to sequester the carbon that's emitted after that. So it's easy to see how this issue kind of amplifies itself. Yeah, a study 
published last Monday in Nature Sustainability shows that carbon loss from tropical deforestation has been driven largely by the expansion of agriculture. This study actually contrasts the finding of the global carbon budget from last year, which suggested a slight decline in carbon loss from deforestation. That's something to me that's just so interesting and important about the scientific process. Like some people are going to hear that and be like, oh, you know, they're contradicting themselves. Part of that is just like testing hypothesis. It's just classic science. Yeah, it's, you know, you, you come up with your findings and then you keep testing them with different controls. And here they found that the data was changing. So one study that predicted something was contradicted by a study that focused specifically on carbon loss through deforestation. An issue the author brings up is that the increase in deforestation took place despite commitments to slow deforestation worldwide. The IPCC standards are not spotting some of the issues found in this study, such as small-scale deforestation. Yeah, and the study's researchers found that the Democratic Republic of Congo, Indonesia, and Brazil recorded the largest acceleration in forest loss from 2001 to 2020. And they added that Brazil was responsible for the largest total emissions from clearing in the Amazon and other forest ecosystems. The analysis found that about a fifth of land clearing in the tropics took place in mountainous regions, which are home to relatively high carbon stocks, especially in Asia. The authors add that cattle farming, palm oil, soy, coca, rubber, and coffee are all leading causes of tropical forest loss destroying some of the most biodiverse places on Earth. Yeah, this one's just difficult news to hear, and consumer choices can really make a big difference here. Similar to the story we talked about before the break, where I was saying you know, we can reduce single-use plastic consumption and, and make a difference with our wallets, it's the same deal here. So we're talking about palm oil. Just check the back of your dish soap and make sure that you know it's sustainably sourced palm oil and it's not coming from deforestation of the Amazon. You can get shade-grown coffee and shade-grown cocoa beans. Those are going to be less impactful on the Amazon and on those greater forests than something that's just farmed through deforestation of those forests. And same with beef. We can look into fair trade beef and make sure that the beef we're buying isn't coming from land that was cleared to allow that grazing. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of Smucker's Natural Peanut Butter because uh, I just cannot eat like the Skippy or whatever, just uh, the big brand uh, peanut butter. And I think it's because it contains palm oil. If you look in the back of the peanut butter, it's usually just like crushed peanuts and uh, palm oil, which I didn't know or like cared about really until, yeah, you hear about stuff like in Indonesia that they're cutting down a lot of tropical land for Mm -hmm. palm oil. And then uh, you taste Smucker's natural peanut butter and it's like, I'm getting the best of both worlds. So why, uh, <laughs> why would I go back? <laughs> yeah, seriously. yeah, I'm a, I'm a Trader Joe's organic peanut butter guy oh, myself. I'm a big Trader Joe's fan, but I haven't tried their peanut butter. They have one with chia seeds and flax seeds. So the only ingredients are peanuts. Uh, I forget if this is salted or not. So it might be peanuts, salt, yeah. chia and flax. Nice. Blend that all together. It's great for smoothies and no palm oil. This weekend, I'm going. I'm going to grab it. No free ads, though. Uh, Trader, <laughs> Trader Joe, if you're listening to this, please sponsor. Thanks. Also, cut down on your plastic production. Thanks. Yeah, no, they're, they're <laughs> bad on the merchandising. 
All right. Up next from the New York Times, EPA to tighten tailpipe rules for the biggest polluters on the road by Coral Davenport. Yeah, so we don't want to spend a ton of time on this because it's all a big proposal right now, but just something to put on the listeners' radars. The Biden administration announced on Monday proposed pollution limits from buses, delivery vans, tractor trailers, and other heavy trucks, which is the first increase in limits since 2001. The new rule would require heavy trucks to reduce nitrogen dioxide emissions by 90% by 2031 and to slightly tighten the CO2 emissions for trucks. Nitrogen dioxide is linked to lung cancer, heart disease, and premature death. And CO2 is a greenhouse gas that drives climate change. The nitrogen oxide pollution laws would apply to trucks starting in 2027, and the carbon laws would begin starting 2024. Yeah, so this was announced with $5.5 billion to help states purchase low or zero emissions transit buses and $17 million to replace diesel school buses with electric buses in underserved communities. So why is this important? EPA Administrator Michael S. Reagan says that 72 million people are estimated to live near truck freight routes in America, and they are more likely to be people of color and those with lower incomes. Yes, the EPA also estimates that the new limits would prevent up to 2,100 premature deaths, 6,700 hospital admissions and emergency department visits, 18,000 cases of asthma in children, 78,000 lost days of work, and 1.1 million lost days of school by the year 2045. Like I said at the start, this is still proposed, so we didn't want to spend too much time on it, but yeah, just uh, something to be aware of in case it gets signed into law. This is a pretty pretty cool proposal here. Yeah, and if all those uh, medical <laughs> uh, premature deaths and whatnot didn't get you on board already, nitrous oxides are also the biggest culprit when it comes to the creation of smog. So if you live on the West Coast, this may be even nearer and dearer to you. Yeah, I I did a study. I think it was my senior year of college. It might be my first year of grad school. But it was basically the impacts of how switching to renewable energy could impact public health. And one of the things that I studied was proximity to fossil fuel burning power plants or highways. You're going to see a huge increase in childhood asthma and a big increase in adult asthma rates. So something like this makes a lot of sense to me. And I think any way we can prevent that, look, it's going to cost money up front. We talked about the financials there, but Mm -hmm. how much does 78,000 lost days of work cost? How much does 1.1 million lost days of school by school children cost? Like those things that we can't really quantify are going to outweigh whatever this investment turns out to be. So yeah, I hope this gets signed into law. And uh, I think that would have a really great impact on society here. Yeah, I feel like everyone is for clean water and clean air. So hopefully this... uh, (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Hard hard to not be. (laughs) If you are anti-clean water, like if you don't like drinking clean water, reach out. We would love to interview you. Yeah, (laughs) just just curious, pure curiosity. (laughs) All right, our last quick hit of the week comes from the Miami Herald, where Julia Marnin writes, this national park will close road on rainy nights so vulnerable critters can breed. The Delaware Water Gap National Recreation Area will be shutting down River Road on rainy spring nights so that amphibians can cross over to their breeding grounds without worrying about getting hit by cars. River Road is located on the Pennsylvania side of the Delaware Water Gap, and it's going to close down over the next six weeks, according to the National Park Service. The plan is to let migrating animals hop from distances of a few hundred feet 
to sometimes more than a quarter mile to moist breeding pools without the risk of being crushed by vehicle tires, according to the National Park Service. So their plan is basically any time the forecast shows mild temperatures and rain, the road will be shut down from 6 p.m. to 6.30 a.m. the next day to protect the common green frog, eastern newt, spotted salamander, and 22 other amphibian species that live in the park. If you are hearing this and you somehow you know, come across River Road, let's say it's on your commute home from work, and you're like, damn, this is really going to impact me. This sucks. Go look up the spotted salamander. It's really cute. And you're going to be like, I'm okay with taking the long way home. I'm going <laughs> to protect this little fellow. Yeah. <laughs> Amphibian populations are declining globally and protecting their migration routes along with protecting the vernal pools that they breed in is a crucial step to protecting their populations. By the way, if you haven't heard that phrase, vernal pools are essentially bodies of water that form with rainfall and snowmelt in the spring. So they're really good breeding areas for amphibians. As the land starts to dry up, the area is going to appear dry until the next heavy rainfall or the next wet season. Yeah, I feel like national and state parks do such a wonderful job when it comes to stuff like this. It, it's like so amazing. I feel like I've heard a variety of this story like time and time again, even when I'm just at that park. And I read like a sign that says closed for rehabilitation or whatever. And uh, I think it's great because the people that visit these areas are the ones that are happy to go out of the way for such a cause. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, to your point, it's national and state parks that are doing this and national parks get a lot of the shine, but go visit your state parks, go visit your county parks. They're all great. And there's a ton of opportunity to get outside and enjoy nature at them. And underrated ones. Yeah. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of TPT. I'll be back on Monday with Giselle to talk about the IPCC's latest report and the Supreme Court hearing oral arguments against climate change mitigation. Yeah, I'm excited for that one. I've heard a lot about the report, but have yet to delve into it myself. So that's going to be an important episode. So make sure y'all tune in and share that one with your friends. Yeah, please share it with your friends. Please rate it five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And while you have that Apple Podcast app open, Give us a review. <laughs> the Planet Today is written and hosted by me, Matt Norton. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Norton. We're produced every week by Nick Chinusa, who also does the music for every show. You can check out his music at soundcloud.com slash Cape. You know how to spell it. He reminds you every week. Special thanks again to Dan Walsh for joining us. Dan, where can people keep up with you and with Vala Alta? As always, an honor to be a part of the program. You can keep up with Val Alta at valalta.co as well as on Instagram at vala underscore alta. And we're also hoping to have more of a presence on TikTok soon. So watch out there as well at vala underscore alta. And, you know, I might might be giving out some free handkerchiefs and uh, in hopes of just some beautiful, beautiful user-generated content. Maybe we'll run a little uh, promotion or something here on the program. Absolutely. You should... Go give Dan a follow at Vala underscore Alta. Get yourself potentially a free Vala Alta. And if you don't get that, go buy some. They're great. They're sustainable. We love them here. You can keep up with the entire TPT team on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Planet Today Pod or email us at planettodaypod at gmail.com. Make sure to follow our socials for an exclusive quick hit every week that we don't talk about here on the podcast. Our logo is made by Kaylee Veets. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we'll catch you right here on Monday. Cheers, folks.